Fin Nation podcast. This is a brand new episode of your favorite Missouri basketball podcast. At least I, I hope it is. It is season five, episode 20 of the uh, 2021-22 college basketball season, the Missouri Tigers. I am your host, Sam Snelling, with me as always, uh, representing on this top 10 podcast in SB Nation College. Uh, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, if people are hate listening, it still counts as a download. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I I would hope that at this point, uh, you know, whether or not you are glued to the television of each second of Missouri basketball or you're indifferent to uh, the fate of this year's team and, and more just sort of waiting for the string to play out to see if they fire the coach or not. Um, like you're still tuning in to, to listen to our analysis of the things that have happened on a week to week basis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I hope. I hope that, uh, <laughs> you know, people can take out of this pot whatever they want it to. I'm just here to give them the content. They can love it. They can hate it. So long as they consume it. That's, that's my view at this point. <laughs> That's uh, it's it's, I guess the the approach to a lot of people on the internet these days. Um, so uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Matt. Um, the second best conference in all of uh, Ken Palm Land is the Southeastern Conference. I mean, <laughs> I, I love see data. That but coming this year, huh? I didn't. But man, like. I shouldn't say this because it's going to make me sound very commercially, but to, but the numbers don't match what my eyes tell me week to week. Um, what I would point to people is like, yeah, that's true that it's in terms of toughness, it's number one. But man, scroll down and look at uh, stuff like effective field goal percentage, turnover rate, three point shooting. It it's a tough league. But it is not a skilled league, so it makes no. for hard watching. Um, tough league, um, both uh, in terms of in terms of uh, competitiveness and the product on the floor. That's that's the most polite way I can put it. Well, yeah. So before we get into uh, Missouri action of the the previous week, I like I do find this interesting because I think there's a a, a few different things happening here. Clearly. Um, you know, Auburn being pretty good, Kentucky being pretty good. Uh, Tennessee, I think, has been better than I sort of expected them to be. Um, you know, and then so, uh, LSU right now is still top 20 in Kempom, uh, but they're taking L's. And I think, I think the fact that you have like good teams like, like LSU and Alabama, uh, you know, getting, getting knocked around a little bit in league play actually helps the league. And I think this is always one of my things and why I believe like the big 12 is always so high is because everybody sort of takes losses even to the bad teams. And, and like the, the worst team in the big 12 right now is I mean, who like Kansas state. Yeah. Um, and oh, sorry, Oklahoma state. No, West Virginia, 61st. Um, so West Virginia has won twice. Uh, Kansas state, has won four times. This is in league play. Oklahoma State has won four times. Um, TCU is 58th, so they're actually the second worst team, uh, according to Ken Palm. They're four and four. Uh, so I think, you know, like you just get into league play and you, you have some decent teams that start taking losses. Um, and, the, you know, the standings don't necessarily match up to what the Ken Palm numbers are. We have you know, 49th ranked Florida and 45th uh, ranked Mississippi State in the top six. And seventh and eighth right now is LSU and Alabama. So I think that plus all the, the transfer that uh, transferring that's happened like the last year, last year's COVID numbers, all that kind of stuff has sort of thrown this year into a little bit of a, uh, a mess. And the SEC was probably one of the more stable leagues, at least at, at the top. And I think too, there's still sort of some trickle down effect from you know the scheduling mandate that came out what is it now eight years ago where the goal was to try and have everyone's um non-con opponent be around at worst an average of 150 
Like that's what they wanted. So the strengthening of the non-con schedule sort of beds in some quality too to your resume on top of the conference play. So, you know, that was an attempt kind of to the game, the, the RPI when we still use the RPI. Um, but it still sort of applies now when we're doing the adjustment of your raw net rating to your, you know, adjusted efficiency margin in Kim Palm. So if you play a tough schedule and you're moderately competitive against it, it's going to have some residual effects for you. So I think that's also a factor. SEC teams tend to play tougher non-con schedules than they did back in the day, unless you're Arkansas, Arkansas, Mississippi State, or LSU this year, or Texas A&M. So um, I think that's helped uh, as well. Look, I, I have no doubt that this is a tough league. I have no doubt that, you know, it's, it's got some good teams in it. I would say my general takeaway is that this is a league where like, if you look at Auburn, it's a team that can, you know, pop off runs offensively. It's got a great offensive player in Jabari Smith, but that team is built on defense. Tennessee is built on defense. Like there are, teams in this conference that I still think are more defensive oriented in terms of how they want to play and the raw athleticism of this league is phenomenal like I I wouldn't you know put it up against any in the country but like ball handling is just garbage I mean it's uh, the turnover rate I think the SEC is like 20th out of 32 leagues in turnover percentage as a conference um it's like 20th and three point shooting so there's not a lot of reliable shooting Effective field goal percentage is kind of one of the base, you know, four factors for offensive competency. They're what, I think 19th or 20th in that. So it's a league where, you know, a lot of grinders happen. Um, You know, the style is, you know, more physical. I think it's probably a little bit, you know, less polished than some other leagues. So then just, it can be a tough conference, but like I, I watched. So Missouri um, fits right in. (laughs) Uh, Missouri less fits. less less skilled, comfortable with uh with bruising physical basketball. Yeah, the problem is everyone else is, and they have more raw talent than, than Missouri does. So it's not really an advantage, and everyone's doing the same thing with you know a better players. So it. But yeah, I just, I just meant as far as like it would also probably explain some level of their uh improved play. Uh, yeah, if we want to sort of reference that because you know like they're three and six in league um a couple possessions away from five and four maybe uh, two, two of those blowouts were were early and then they've sort of gone on this streak here over the, like the last what six games or so that six or seven been now. more competitive yeah. um so last week man it really would have been nice to get that win against florida um it's a tough stretch at the end of the game um, but that they recovered. They went on the road and, and beat Texas A&M. Um, the loss against Florida, and I, I don't really think we need to spend a whole lot of time reviewing things that have already happened. Uh, I don't know. Like, and even though they, they won the close game uh, against Texas A&M, and a lot of people were like, oh, you know, they're redeemed. Like, I don't really feel like you're redeemed. Like, the, some of the issues still kind of popped up. They just, they did the things. Uh, that they should have done uh, against Florida, or they did the things against Texas A&M that they should have done against Florida. And and the biggest thing is Kobe Brown made his free throws. Yeah, I don't buy into the narrative that they're redeemed or that they're, you know, or anything like that. I think they just had, you know, the missing out on close losses. You know, they built a pretty steady lead over Texas A&M let that slip had a double digit lead at Alabama let it slip like you're not redeemed for those past issues um I think what they needed more than anything else was a result at that point I think that the one thing this team has maintained at least that's observable to me is they're still playing hard they still play for this staff they still go out and they try and execute every night there's still a little level of engagement that's you know clearly pretty high based on you know when you watch them and how they're trying to perform the question I would have had if they had taken that loss, if, you know, Quentin Jackson hits two free throws, they go to overtime and they lose is, you know, does this team start to let that sort of creep in? And is there a little bit of slippage as far as intensity, focus, all the other kind of like soft skills that we talk about, you know, 
that aren't scheme or aren't skill related. So I, I think that's the biggest thing right now is you can sort of stop any, you know, psychological slippage for lack of a better term. Um, but you know, we know how the teams played over the last six or seven games. They're continuing to follow that model. The question is just, can they manage to clean up some things in late game to give themselves a chance to get results? Cause that at this point, you know, that that's all that really matters. You know, they're playing better, but they've got to start putting some stuff in the win column. And, and that, you know, is probably the biggest takeaway from Saturday is they got that object, objective achieved. Yeah. So I, I do kind of want to talk about the, the note that, uh, that I had in, in study hall. And I'm, you know, I always like to credit our, our private message um, conversation with, with, uh, with yourself and, and the other Matt. Um, so, you know, Matt Watkins is, is doing a killer job. You guys were doing those film room sessions. I think that's really educational, but we have an ongoing, very lengthy conversation um, that led me to the, uh, the Bart Torvik tool uh, where you can kind of look at how like a team was playing and, and, and basically apply the, like a set of dates and, uh, at the time of publishing, I think Missouri was 135th uh, from the start of the season to the end of the 2021s. So that was after Kentucky. They were 265th in the country. Uh, and then from January 1st until now, they're 67th. Uh, if you move that to after the Arkansas blowout, it jumps to 32nd. That's like, that's now, granted, this is all like within context of a small data sample, um, but like that's really kind of I don't know miraculous that 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 whatever I think it kind of goes to my point of like Zoe being resourceful, but whatever like they were doing early, which was clearly disastrous, uh, they found a way to sort of make this thing work and the pieces fit and. Uh, and, you know, it, I think it's helped that, you know, the SEC, uh, at least the version of the SEC that Missouri has played so far, uh, you know, they've been catching some teams that were not exactly on hot streaks. Um, you know, Auburn was likely overlooking uh, Missouri a little bit and coming off, a, <laughs> you know, beating Kentucky and, uh, and having like the Big 12 game, you know, midweek trip to Columbia, Missouri is probably not very high on anybody in the SEC's list. Um, you know, so like, I think there's like, you know, like a reason that you can sort of be like, okay, like maybe they caught kind of some, some teams uh, sleeping, but we're at the point now where there's, there's no real reason for us to assume that like Vanderbilt or Ole Miss or Arkansas or Mississippi State, any of the teams that, that are coming up, uh, are going to be overlooking the Tigers, you know, now that they're, Really like a, a half game out of seventh place. Yeah, um, I'll have a piece I think going tomorrow that sort of like looks at what we can expect coming down the stretch. And I, you know, I run or I ran, you know, the calculations for raw efficiency. And realistically, Missouri's improvements come completely at the offensive end of the floor. Defensively, they're about the same. Um, they're just not they're not as bad on the initial shot but they're giving up a lot of second possessions and turning the ball over a lot so that's creating even more opportunities for teams to score so defensively it's been sort of a net push but offensively they've gone from being one of the 50 worst teams in the country to average and they've done that against a schedule that's actually pretty tough um at least if you were to like look at average ranking of teams in Kimpom, it's like 40 or 50th. So when you're average against good teams, it's going to, you know, help boost your ranking considerably here, but they're basically 10 points per 100 possessions better on offense. And a lot of that comes from the fact that they are just not the worst three point shooting team in the country anymore. <laughs> it, it helps to just be adequate. At they're shooting 39% from three over the last seven <laughs> games. They were shooting like twenty four, the first fourteen or fifteen. Um, so I would I would imagine they're going to cool down. But the thing about that is, and I think you've sort of mentioned it 
and it's evident in the numbers, they've really pared back their volume of three-point attempts. Like, they are taking less threes, but they're high-quality threes, and they're coming within the flow of an offense that's been reconstructed to create them. It's been, you know, not reconstructed, but that's been, you know, tweaked to create them. So they're taking better threes than they were early on. You know, they've trimmed the fat on guys who shouldn't be taking threes. Like I, like Dejuan Gordon will occasionally take them. Maybe Javon Pickett will, but it's usually like a Boogie Coleman three is where we are sort of at this point. It's Boogie or it's Amari or somebody like that. Conversely, they've also basically ditched all of Barcelona. Like, this is why the film room is handy and why I think people should read it is like, go watch how many pick and rolls this team runs how often they run like a weave action or how often like a dribble handoff is the first action they run in an offensive set or a chase action it's those things used to be their bread and butter and they're they've all but disappeared you know and so i think what they've really done is they've figured out what this team does competently on offense i don't want to say well because there are still stretches that you know make you take a deep breath but they found what this team can do competently i think the other thing they've done is they've really backed the pace off i think they figured out that this team has to come down set up run good offense and get into stuff that works for them and you know i it's meant that you know it it can make the game a little boggy in a slog like saturday when it's 56 or 57 possessions but you add all that up that's kind of the radical change we said they needed to make you know what was this team going to do to to find solutions well they play incredibly slow they basically stopped running pick and rolls and they have chopped the number of three-pointers they take down by a third and they've figured out now that they can get the ball they need to get the ball to kobe brown you know in the mid post you know, at the elbow or on switches. And so the initial action of every offense possession is designed to get the ball there. So I think they've found what this team can do well enough to give itself a chance every night. Is it going to work out? No, because we've seen that, you know, they've dropped four games, so they've had a lead. But they're in the game, you know, late with a chance to win. and if they can execute down the stretch like they did Saturday, they can start tipping some results. And realistically at that point, that's probably the best outcome you can hope for. Yeah. The, uh, excuse me. Sorry. The, uh, (laughs) the, the way that the last few minutes of the game went, um, and you know, so I, I think that the advantage, that they have uh, in slowing the pace, of, the pace of play down is it, it. It sort of takes a lot of the you know whole we don't have a point guard thing uh, and reduces it. You know, as a, a point guard, you can pretty much toss him the ball. Everybody runs down the court. Um, you know, and then he can just you know break down his his player, bring up, set it up, and you're good to go. But Missouri is very methodical in its approach to getting the ball into the position of initiating their offense. Um but you know once they get into the mode of like all right we're gonna run offense like they're pretty good at it. Um and I, like and I know that like we've been running out these film rooms after every game and if, if people are reading them that's great. I highly recommend them because it, you know it shows that like when when Missouri is able to get themselves into the position that they need to to run offense, their offense is is really good, and it it, it I think it sort of blows up the argument of uh, a lot of people are just like, well, you know, Conzo doesn't run offense, and like there's always a difference between um, having not great offensive players uh having uh an initial system that you thought was going to work that doesn't and then and then you know pivoting and finding something that does so um down the stretch uh i thought like the the way that they were able to sort of lift the floor and and give uh you know kobe that uh i think it was 
basically like an over the top lob. Um, he was able to sort of, uh, you know, pin his defender on the the front side of him. And I can't remember who threw the pass. I think it was Amari. Yeah. Uh, threw a pass over the top for an easy dunk. Like I thought that was that to me was probably the biggest play because you know like A and M I thought was controlling uh, things a little bit, making the half court possessions a little tougher. Missouri was keeping pace enough, um, but that one is the one that took them from a three point lead to a five point lead. I thought that that really kind of sealed the game. Yeah, to me, like. I keep an eye on, you know, how are you, how is each team trying to counter the other one? Like, so a couple weeks ago, they go to Iowa state and, you know, they come out, Iowa state, snow middle absolutely kills Missouri when it tries to get into its side ball screen stuff. You know, Missouri then runs its usual, like go screen for Kobe to get him a post up. They get him the post up. He gets hard doubled. There's a turnover playing off of it. Missouri finds a little bit of a, reprieve they start running some middle ball screen stuff iowa state blows that up iowa state won that game because iowa state was able to take missouri out of what it wanted to do saturday i think the thing that struck me was that you know texas a&m clearly wanted to trap missouri in ball screens they did it all the time when missouri would get into it and they wanted to switch everything like that's you know and so to me what missouri did a great job of is they would run false action to get switches. Like they would run, you know, I think the one that we looked at, we had, was like a flex action. And that wasn't really to get a guy scoring off the baseline. It was to get a guard switching to Kobe. And then they'd come off the reversal and they'd be able to play out of the post with it. Or if they were able to hit a guy rolling, the helper is now a guard and not, you know, not Henry Coleman. So Missouri's running action to get switches and they're running stuff to where those switches aren't happening in ball screens that A&M can trap. Like that to me was that's smart offense. Like if you and that's a sign of good scouting. Like we know what this team's going to do, we're going to tweak our stuff to where we're still setting up horns, we're still setting up our you know kind of pinch post stuff. But we're not just running defenders into traps to trap our guys. But we're still getting the switches we want, we're still getting our guys to the spots on the floor where they're operating. And down the stretch, that's what they were able to do. Like you said, they lifted the floor. They got Kobe to the elbow. You know, he was having to draw help there. And, you know, they hit Trevor Brazil for two back cuts. You know, they managed to get out of it and then still have a switch where they can lob over the top. So I just think that's a game where if you're watching and you're judging a staff, that's a good indicator of a staff that knows what it's doing, understands its personnel, understands what its team does well, and builds the offense to fit it. Because if you watch that game and you compare it to what they were doing against Wichita state miles apart, doesn't even look like the same team offensively. And so I think that that to me is the most telling thing that they've done here is they've really gone in and they didn't do it overnight. They didn't go into practice one day and say, we're scrapping everything. We're ditching it. They've, they've built to that incrementally and you could see a little bit of it against Florida, Florida. You could see a little bit of it against Auburn where they were started run overloads more like they've steadily shifted this way but i thought a&m was a good sort of example even down the stretch of how they've sort of retooled this offense to try and fit with what this team can actually do so uh, that to me was the biggest and most sort of telling part there and that they hit their free throws (laughs) when they needed to right making just a a few uh few of the right plays down the stretch like if you know, Boogie Coleman makes his free throws against Florida. If, you know, Deshaun Gordon doesn't foul, uh, you know, Tyree Appleby, Missouri wins the game against Florida. Um, and that's like, that's how simple it is at the end of the game. And, and one, of the, one of the things I think that were irritated by the people who are just like, ah, because Zoe can't coach. Like, no. It, Guys do dumb stuff <laughs> all the time. Some of the, like, I, I would... Like really, you can even go to uh, put a mic on on Steve Kerr and listen to Steve Kerr coach the Golden State Warriors, and and the amount of times in a game he'd be like, "What is he doing?" Uh, would really surprise a lot of people. Like, you know, guys even at the highest level just make bad decisions sometimes, and like basketball is a, a very split second sport, uh, and sometimes you make the right call, sometimes you don't, and uh, I think 
against uh against AM. Like they got they got lucky too. Like, you know, they had a horrible offensive possession uh with under a minute to play, I think. And and uh yeah, you know, uh, an inbound play to Ronnie is is not good. Yeah. But the uh it was a basically like a I mean the shot clock was gonna expire and I think they turned the ball over. Uh the only advantage to that possession is the fact that they took every last second essentially uh but then yeah. it, but then they fouled uh quentin jackson and he missed his free throw you know and that's the difference between like conzo being a smart coach and buzz williams being a dumb coach like sometimes the guy just misses a free throw um like i think you can like we split plenty of time like doing an autopsy on the decision not to foul against Auburn. like that's one i put firmly within the purview of the coach there that's yes. a decision that's there um I still think, you know, the hesitancy to put Trevin Brazil out there in the final minutes is something you can critique this coach and this staff about. Um, you know, I st- you know, teams are going to hunt him in switches. The solution is probably to either not switch or play drop coverage with him. But, you know, they've decided they're going to, you know, roll with Ryan DeGray out there as the five. Like, those are the kinds of things that are, I think you can sit down and say that's something that Conzo, you know, could be reasonably critiqued about. But, you know, Dejuan Gordon hit, you know, sliding and hip-checking Tyree Appleby. 85 feet from the rim, like, that's, that's like, you can even see Zoe just tilt his head back. Like, he knew. Like, that that's not what he wanted. He wasn't like, all right, whatever. Good good job there. Like, that wasn't something he wanted to, to see in that position. It's just, so, like, I, I think there are things... There are fine distinctions as to where you can critique a coach and just sort of once you chalk up to a guy making a stupid decision and, you know, move on from there with it. Um, But, yeah, the, like, I don't think, I don't think Zoe would have been happy with, you know, Ronnie DeGray reaching and sending Quentin Jackson tumbling head over heels at half court. I think he would have been like, <laughs> right. get back and build a wall and stop the ball. Like, that's right. what, like, just. Transition defense, just sprint your ass off, get back, cut the ball off, keep it on one side of the floor, and let's match it up. Like, I don't think it would have been, hey, if you get an opportunity there, reach as a really fast guard is sprinting away from you. And just hope you maybe get a little piece of the ball there. Just hope for it. So guys do things, they make decisions, and sometimes they're, they're really poor. And... You aren't punished for them, so that's that's probably the biggest takeaway from the in game there in in uh, College Station. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we could probably um, move on, unless there's anything else that you wanted to get on with the game at Texas A and M. Kobe Brown, it was nice to see Kobe kind of get back and and playing well. Amari hit some big shots. Uh, Trevin, you know, had a couple nice blocks and and some nice dunks. Um, Boogie yeah. continues a, I don't even want to call it like a hot streak, um, because he's, he's shooting, well, so he he shot the ball really poorly, uh, he's shooting better, um, and he still had a one for six night against Auburn, um, but, but four like- for eight, two two for five. I'm just talking about from three point range. Yeah. he's 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 an important guy for them to kind of get going from from deep. Yeah, he kind of looks like the guy that I, I would have thought you were getting initially. Not like a point guard, but kind of like that second side guy. Like a lot of his jumpers come off skips and kickouts. Yeah. And like there's one play where he even drives and hits Amari, you know, diving to the elbow where it's attacking a closeout and making a playoff attacking the closeout. Like that's always what I thought his game was going to be or what is or what he's better at doing when you're sort of saying, okay, you know, use your shot to set up the drive, and then we want you to use your instincts and some decision-making playing off that. I never thought, at least from the film I was able to see of him at Ball State, where it was like, yeah, make that guy the primary. But I thought, okay, as a second-side guy who can shoot the ball, you know, force hard closeouts, and then play off attacking, yeah, that, that guy could probably be, that's probably a good fit for him in this offense, and that's, I think, what he's done more recently. Or like they'll get him in some zoom action coming out of the corner out of a pin down, and he can have that little bit of you know help to shed a defender and then turn and play out of it. 
like I think you're seeing him in spots where he's a little bit more at home, and I think that that's definitely helped. I think you're seeing him sh- a lot of the threes he's making now are ones that look really really similar to what you saw on tape at Ball State. So I think he's probably back to a little bit more of a role that was closer to what he had last year um, in the MAC. So I, 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 I think that's it's been sort of heartening to see. Okay, yeah, this this guy looks familiar. This is kind of the guy I thought they were getting. And it's because I think he's playing in positions and in a role that's probably a little bit more familiar. So uh, that's all I got on uh, Duran. Well, so they're three and six. Um, they play tomorrow night. So we're recording uh, as usual on, on Monday. It is February 7th. Uh, tomorrow night is the Tuesday game at Vanderbilt. Missouri is already. Uh, you know, getting shots up in <laughs> Memorial Coliseum there in Nashville. Uh, so game against Vandy, uh, and then Saturday, you welcome uh, Ole Miss back into your place, the team that you uh, curb stomped in their own building. Uh, Vanderbilt is coming off a a nice win. Um, so they beat LSU at home. Uh, they played Kentucky tough yeah. on the road at Rupp. And uh, and beat Georgia in what was a closer game than I think a lot of people expected. Picked off Arkansas uh, early on too. Yeah, they so they beat uh, Arkansas. They've got two wins over Georgia, and they've beaten LSU. So they've beaten some uh, some good teams, and then they've got their their back back or not back back, but they've got two wins over over the dogs. Um, so this is a game that I'm really kind of curious about because I I always thought Vanderbilt was going to be better than they've been this year because I I saw the roster and thought they they were going to be all right. I didn't think they'd be great, um, but I thought the rest of the league was was going to basically allow them to finally get out of probably playing on a uh, um, on what was it the Wednesday. Right, Wednesday they, uh, yep, the yep, SEC tournament they, that Vanderbilt's been stuck there forever. Missouri has made a nice home there uh, most years. But I really thought that uh, that this was going to be the year that Vanderbilt moved out of kind of the basement, uh, which is where they've been, and it looks like that was a, a a fair prediction so far. Yeah, I mean, I think that they've probably haven't been quite as good as you would want to see offensively, but they're guarding they're guarding pretty well, um, which. A little bit, a little bit of a dip in SEC play, but um, Scotty Pippen is still a guy who's good, still kind of a volume dude. Um, his you know shooting numbers are a little bit below average, but they pump a ton of possessions through him. Jordan Wright's been uh pretty good as a junior. The question really is what's behind those guys. Um, like I guess Quentin Miller Brown, they're they're big is they're and Miles Stewart have high efficiency numbers, but they're both low usage guys. And, you know, I think it's also been problematic as well that I think who's injured for them right now. They're, they're big guy. Uh, Liam Robbins is Liam Robbins is, is also likely going to miss this game. So they're going to take a hit there. Um, Has he like, has he played this year? Yeah. I don't think he has. Like, I'm not, uh, yeah, it's, He's been, been on, on the, the it's been page. it's been ongoing for him. Um, there's a good story in the Tennessee, and that sort of delves into it. But what I'm saying is, they just haven't had, like I think they thought they were going to have Robbins around to be kind of that anchor in the front court, and they were going to be able to kind of have Pippen you know, power things in in the back court. You know, right? He's played in one basketball yeah. game this year. Yeah. So they've, I think they thought they were going to have you know guys like Wright, Stute, and other and Trey Thomas sort of fill in around them, but. You know, with Robbins out, they haven't really had kind of that you know, front court guy to, to ease some pressure there. So it's it'll be interesting. Uh, they are a a team that I think, you know, when I've been able to see them in stretches, you know, I think they're they're better. They're going to be able to guard pretty well. But I think you're going to see a team that really it's going to come down to who can score. It may almost sort of be a lesser version of what we saw against Iowa State, where. They can stop you, but who's going to be able to generate offense outside of Pippen? If they can get some guys to step forward, they might be able to get a win. If Missouri's been able to guard pretty well, which Missouri's doing a good job of, I think if you look at Missouri's you know, effective field goal numbers and their shooting percentages allowed numbers in SEC play, 
Missouri's a top three defense, top three or four defense. Yeah. So we'll see. I think if they can slow Pippen and they can make this kind of a grinder again, you know, maybe Missouri's got a few more pieces on Amari, you know, maybe a Coleman who can get rolling. If Javon Pickett's back, you know, maybe Missouri's got a little bit more offensively if this thing turns into a slog to, to get a win. So kind of looking at uh, a little bit in the, the Ken Palm numbers, uh, I think it's fair to say that you probably want to keep an eye on Vanderbilt's three-point shooting. Yeah. Um, it looks like they shoot um, on the season 32%, 32.8%, good for 211th, Matt, in the, in the country. Uh, however, against Arkansas, uh, their their big win, uh, which was actually to a uh, a pretty full Bud Walton Arena. Uh, they hit ten to twenty five. That's that's forty percent. Yeah, they're shooting thirty seven percent in conference play, second in the SEC. And uh, against LSU, again another big home win for them. Uh, they shot forty one point nine percent. They they made thirteen out of thirty one three point attempts. Um, LSU is as sort of built a lot of their defense on, you know, making teams, you know, take more difficult three pointers and they gave up 31, uh, three point attempts and, and, and Vanny knocked in, knocked in 13 of them. So uh, to me, like it, you know, that's a very clear stat that's going to pop out if, if Vanderbilt is making three pointers and, you know, I hate to kind of make the point that I feel like I make a lot, you know, college basketball comes down to, did you make your three pointers? Uh, y slash n. Um, it looks like when they've played well, they've made quite a few of them. Um, they took a 19 point loss uh, on the road at Florida, and we're four of 23. That's that's Missouri number right there. Man. Yeah, I think the one thing that sort of helps is that Missouri's fifth in allowing three point attempts, and you know, three point defenses. There's a deg- probably a more degree of luck involved in three point shooting than two point defense, but Missouri's fourth in three point field goal defense, fifth in three point field goal attempts allowed, and that's a good thing. You know they don't give up as many as other teams. So I think if they can run Vandy off the line, make him play more straight downhill, and try and make some plays, maybe that can work in their favor. Um, Vandy, at least when I'm looking at the head to head numbers here on. Offensive rebounding. Let me see where they are on offensive rebounding. Vandy's middle of the road getting on the glass. So you make him take some tough threes, win some 50-50 balls. You might be able to negate that to a certain extent. I I still think it's going to come down to, you know, can Missouri make this into a slog and, and find enough offensive execution? You know, Vandy is a team that's done a good enough job at least defending the three-point line, but you know, they're, I think, 190th in two-point defense, and that's where Missouri, you know, wants to make its, you know, wants to make its money is in the post. So I, I think Missouri is a little bit more geared to slow Vandy than Vandy is Missouri, but uh, it's a road game, and nothing's ever get, given in those situations. So it'll it'll be interesting to see. I, this is one of those games where I feel like if Missouri can flip it, um, yeah, and flip Ole Miss, I think you're talking about, uh, a season that was going to end on a significantly better note than, than where we thought we'd be in uh, late December. Yeah, so two I mean, really winnable games, and I don't, you know, obviously, like with this team and the way that they played <laughs> like all year long, you should never like be looking at a game as like, oh, they should win that game. Um, but of the games that are like left on the schedule, these are probably the, the the two games outside of maybe the home game against Georgia where you're thinking all right we can we can grab this win so I, I really don't think a lot of people probably expected Missouri to kind of be able to turn around and and be playing uh, as competitively as they've been uh, even though they haven't been racking up the wins so are we at a point now where you know because they were able to kind of you know turn the table a little bit they get that close road win over am are are they feeling confident? We think they're going to go into uh, to Nashville and and beat Vanderbilt and and then that Saturday game for me personally, like the Saturday game, 
Uh, I like being able to sweep Ole Miss would be huge, but anytime I see like Ole Miss on the uh, on the schedule, I can always <laughs> hesitant to mark that down as a win. Uh, the Rebels have been okay. Um, they've been a little bit worse than I thought they were going to be, but they're you know they've won one, two, three of the last five. Um, they're three and three since getting whipped by Missouri, including a pretty ugly loss at Mississippi State. Beat Florida at home pretty badly. Beat Kansas State at home pretty badly. Beat LSU on the road. LSU is hitting the skids, man. Yeah, it's hard for me to know how much to read into Ole Miss's performance. I mean, they were like Missouri. They were kind of facing Florida without Castleton. Arkansas um, comes in and and, and you know, beats them, but Ole Miss wasn't at full strength in that one. Uh, I didn't get to see the Kansas State game, but I tend to think that, you know, strength versus strength there, I thought Ole Miss probably was going to get a win there. Um, probably had better athletes and a better overall roster than what Kansas State has. The LSU result, I watched the first half that way, and, and I think LSU's a game, you know, where that team is lost without any sort of ball handle. Like Xavier Pinson, you know, gave them a modicum of it. I don't think he was... No, Tremont Waters by any stretch, or even a scoring point like Ann Thomas, but he was a ball handler. And they, you know, Eric Gaines has tried to backfill for that, but it hasn't really worked. They're a team that really has to play out in transition a lot. Relies, it's amazing I'm even saying this. Ole Miss, LSU relies on its defense to create offense this season. And, you know, that just didn't happen early on um, against. Almost think almost jumped out to like a 16 point lead in that game and kind of had to hold on. So it's I'm not quite sure what to make of Ole Miss at this point. I just know that it's really hard to sweep a season series. So to me, I would want to get the Vanderbilt game, even though it's on the road. I just think that it's a situation where, you know, Vandy, you know, has lacked an interior piece. They've got one reliable scorer. They're, you know, they shoot the three ball a lot. It's a high volatility shot to choice for them. And Missouri does a pretty good job of guarding the three point line and limiting opportunities there. And maybe Missouri's got a few more pieces in aggregate to, to get a result there. I think Ole Miss has probably, you know, been able to digest the tape and, and, you know, they'll have some course corrections there. That they'll be ready to bring in. So to me, I just feel like Vandy for some reason, some a win that's probably going to be a little bit easier to get. But we'll see. Getting one win is sort of a must if you want to kind of keep the momentum going. Getting two, though, uh, would probably or may put, you know, a, a mid-table-ish finish uh, in play for this team, which I didn't think I would be saying coming out of bragging rights uh, whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, hilarious. I mean, the the logjam happening in the uh, in the SEC right now. Um, if Missouri, so if Missouri is able to sweep this week, um, that would put them at five and six. Uh, they are basically a, a a game behind everybody because they had to miss the Mississippi State game, um, which has been rescheduled uh, a couple weeks out. They've got Mississippi State on the road on Friday and then at home on Sunday. That'll be a fun week. Um, Arkansas and then Mississippi State twice. Um, but I think, you know, I think being in that situation where you could potentially be five and six, like I've always kind of felt that there's always one team who is just utter trash in, in like the, the non-conference uh, play. And then they come into conference play and they figure some things out and they get back into you know, and that's part of the thing with conference play is I really am a big believer and like you, you sort of you know your opponents a lot better or the games are a lot closer. Uh, it usually comes down to, uh, uh, you know, a few possessions here and there. Um, obviously, there's going to be a blowout here and there, but for the most part, like it's going to be more competitive basketball. And, and you know, I have was kind of wondering who that team might be this year. I did not think that Missouri was going to be that team. I thought Missouri was still probably going to be a bottom 
four level team, and they still they still might be a bottom four level team. But they're like the way that they've been playing, it it certainly puts more on the table uh, for them to maybe get to. You know, I think preseason I sort of had them at maybe seven and eleven. Um, and I think that's entirely possible, especially if you if you're able to get two games uh, this week. Uh, even if you get one, I think I think you probably still get to seven. But I think this is a week where you'd, it's really nice to kind of put together a little bit of a win streak uh, and and carry some you know modicum of uh, amount of momentum. Yeah, this you know if you look quickly back at the history of you know look back at you know the last six or seven years of the standings, you've probably got to win eight games to get out of the Wednesday uh, spectacle. Uh, this year it's not in Nashville; it's in Tampa. But to get out of the Wednesday games, you probably got to go at least eight and ten. Um, if Missouri sweeps this week and picks off South Carolina and Georgia, and can get to seven and eleven, they may not get out of the Wednesday game. But there's a big difference between being the number ten seed and being the number thirteen seed in that stretch. And I also think just you know you wrote this summer like if you're gonna move up in the SEC, you've got to beat the teams that are behind you or immediately in front of you. And if you sweep Ole Miss that counts if you you know nearly sweep texas a&m that's important if you're able to beat south carolina that's important if you're able to beat georgia that's important you know that's not to say that you you know celebrate that and pop corks but you've if you can get to 7 and 11 you're 10th in a year where you looked way worse than that early on you beat the teams that you think you should be in front of at a minimum in this conference. And if you're this staff, you've put together, you know, reasonably, I'm looking at this, they started one and three. You would have finished the year, you know, I think coming down the stretch at six and eight down the stretch. That's that's defensible over the back half of the year. If you can say we were left for dead, we finished six and eight. If you get a win, in Tampa, you're seven and eight. You know, you've gotten close to 10th or 11th. That's on par with preseason expectations. You know, fans aren't going to want to hear this, but at this point, you know, the staff is probably just thinking we need to do enough to be able to put together a coherent argument to get to make some changes in the offseason. So seven and 11 would do that. And I think it would, you know, also allow them to point to, you know, we probably had substantially less talent than an Ole Miss or maybe even a Texas A&M. If you can get to 7-11, and 11, it makes pitching another year just a little bit more tenable for this group. So I think that, you know, everything, rightly or wrongly, is going to be framed through that the rest of the way. So getting two wins this week, three in a row, you know, with two games that are you know, gettable right for the SEC tournament. Maybe, you know, finally, you know, turns the temperature down, you know, several degrees and, and gives this staff, you know, a chance to try and maybe do some offseason retooling. So that that's what I'm focused on is, you know, if they get to eight and 10, great. They're probably going to, maybe they'll get out of the Wednesday game. They'll be, you know, the 10 seed and get to play Thursday. But, what matters right now is probably just getting to six or seven wins and something approaching, you know, what preseason ex- expectations look like. Yeah. I think like Kempom based upon the percentages has them at six. Uh, so yeah. I think that's probably, probably like the, the minimum of what they would do, um, you know, based upon what we've kind of seen so far. Like I think they're probably, they're, they're going to find another couple wins somewhere. Um, you know, can they get a third win? Um, or uh, sorry, uh, so they're they're at three uh wins in conference. So Ken Palm is saying they're going to win three more out of how many games? One, two, three, four, nine. five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, so basically one and three. Um, you know, one other, you know, three games is a win. Um, which you know, I can I I can see. I can see that pretty easily laying out. Um, you're probably not going to beat Tennessee. Maybe LSU continues to plummet. 
you can that that would be kind of fun to 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 beat LSU with uh with you know X staring angrily down the sideline. Um, I, you know I have to think that you could like you have a home game uh following up Mississippi State like you could probably hopefully get one there. So if you could start this week with three in a row, then all of a sudden you're you're five and six, and all you gotta do is get you know get two more with with Georgia waiting for you at the end of the year and Tom Crean probably likely already being fired uh before all that yeah my question is how South Carolina looking at that point um they've been really kind of up and down so so South Carolina (laughs) yeah like they haven't beaten anybody good um you know but they they've got four wins uh, over Vandy, Georgia, Vandy, and Texas A&M, um, they looked pretty good against Texas A&M. They they blasted Georgia, uh, and then they, like they just got absolutely annihilated at home by Tennessee. Uh, I, that that game was like close, and then all of a sudden, like I, it was like the CBS game. So I I was watching my my quad box on ESPN, and I flipped back. And it was like it went from like a three point yeah. game to like a twenty point game. I was like, holy cow! They get up for they always seem to get up for Kentucky and give Kentucky problems. I don't know that once they get clear of Kentucky, they've got Georgia and Ole Miss. Those are both road games, but I'll be interested in how they do there. You know, they're in the same kind of spot, Missouri. You know, they're looking for where can we find, you know, an extra win or two. And I'm sure you know whatever if there's a South Carolina podcast for basketball i'm unsure but if one exists i'm sure they're looking at that missouri game going oh man South that's carolina get- podcast is already talking about baseball probably and they wouldn't be wrong <laughs> but you know i'm sure everyone's looking at <laughs> this thing everyone's probably looking going well that team's sub 100 and they're coming here maybe we can get them so i don't know i had missouri at 14 like- wins and yeah, realistically, like all the teams that are uh, that we're looking at as a potential win, they're looking at Missouri as a very likely win, and that's that's something that we should probably keep in mind. Like even yeah. even Georgia's like uh, like oh, we could go on the road and beat Missouri. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so at this point, that's why I'm sort of looking at the aggregate here. If they get if they get to seven wins, that means they're thirteen and eighteen. I had them at fourteen and seventeen. You know, which realistically, I can justify how that happened because I didn't have them losing to UMKC in any world. Everything else, you know, if you had the margins were not at all what I expected them to be. But if you flip the UMKC result and didn't show me any margins next to the game, I would go, oh, yeah, that looks like a pretty reasonable, you know, approximation of what I thought it might be in the preseason. What's what's been jarring has been how large some of the losses have been in terms of margin, but yeah, yeah, if they get to the end of the year and they're thirteen and eighteen and they've dropped and the one game that you know had fallen out that was an expected win is UMKC, I would have said, oh yeah, like this mostly looks like how I thought it would, and I'm sure there are fans who would say you should have higher expectations for the program. I would say I deal with. <laughs> deal in reality for what this year was going to be and if they can get back somewhere close to it that's not an endorsement that's not you know praise that's just you know that's a testament to how how hard this team worked to pull itself out of a tailspin if they can get it back to anything close to a reasonable to what we forecasted in the preseason so that's that's just where my head's at as we come down the stretch yeah, so I think the point that I would make is like you can go back and listen to our podcast and read what we've written. Like, you know, it's it's all still up there on the internet for people to go back and and you know check our words. And I think the main thing that I like as this team was sort of tail spinning in the non conference play and just getting housed uh, you know, by supposed rivals. Um, the main point was like like something needed to change. Um, and I think a lot of fans immediately when, you know, when you talk about making a change in, in, in the program, they always 
immediately want to point the finger at the head coach. Um, and and certainly, like you know, Council Martin is not absolved of responsibility for how the team played at the beginning of the year. Uh, he's not absolved for putting together the you know the roster that he did with without without a, a primary ball handler. Like these are all legitimate criticisms. And when you're when you're building a case for you know whether or not a guy should you know get more time as the head coach, like the, these are all clear things you point to is saying like well you made these decisions in building this roster and it cost you heavily at the beginning of the year it cost you uh some wins in conference play uh and so do you want to trust that guy to like retool in the spring and 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 give it another another shot um you know i i i said in study hall that you know like Conza martin has proven uh, to be at least one of the most resourceful coaches, uh, in the SEC and and probably in the high major level, like he he finds ways to to like be competitive, and like this team's talent level is not good enough, uh, and I and I think we've we've talked about these points before. Like the athletic director should have a list of talking points. At the end of the season, once they wrap up for the you know the exit interview, whatever you want to call it, at the end of the year when when they sit down for their meeting, determine whether or not you know, uh, you know she feels that that Conzo Martin is the right guy to bring back, and and he has to have the right answers uh, for the questions. But but it all it all you know revolves around like why did you make decisions that put you in this position? What were your, what was the thought process and how are you going to fix it? Um, so no, like I don't think anybody should be remotely happy with the way that the season has gone. But it's it is okay to like watch the team that you you cheer for, the Missouri Tigers, and to to root for them to continue to perform better and win games and stuff like that. Like I, it's it's okay to take joy uh, out of, and I even said this during like the Kim Anderson days, which were far darker. Um, you know, like I think I made a point on Twitter that like Kim Anderson had two like thirteen game losing streaks, uh, you know, in in three years, like like thirteen games in a row, and and Conzo has never lost more than four in a row at Missouri. Uh, is that good enough? Like, you know, that's up to the athletic director to decide. Um, you know, I, I'm not throwing a parade for Conzo Martin you know, never having lost more than four games in a row. Uh, but I do think it speaks to his his character and his coaching and the type of guys that he gets buy-in from that they're always able to to pull out of that tailspin. Kim Anderson's teams never did that, and Consul Martin's teams always do that. Um, so... Yeah, I, I mean, I, no one's going to be happy with with six and twelve or even seven eleven, you know, this season. Um, but you know, at some point, you do have to give, you know, a little bit of credit for for the job. Yeah, I, I think even if you're kicking him to the curb, <laughs> like I think there's always, I think you have to sort of hold this what the product is right now up against what. Conzo Martin said it he or what he professed he wanted it to be in the preseason. He said, you know, and again, you know, whether or not it was completely transparent or not, I'm not sure, but this is what he stated he wanted. You know, he was looking forward to a team that played fast, that would be more aggressive on defense, you know, switching more, you know, applying more pressure, that they were going to be a team that was going to, you know, continue to kind of run the same offense they had and, you know, pick and roll heavy Barcelona style stuff. And they went out and they got guys that would fit that. And unequivocally, it did not work. Just abject failure. I, I don't think you can, that's not being harsh. That's not being hyperbolic. There is, you can go watch the film. You can go look at the data. They were playing like a sub 300 basketball team with this roster in the way that you know Martin stated he wanted it to play 
There's no other conclusion you can reach other than that there were poor valuations made here. And that has to matter. Like, I, and I, I come back to, like, you know, I've said this before on the pod, and I wrote it in the piece tomorrow. Like, you're, you don't deserve credit for a problem of your own making. You, it would, you know, I, it's a, it's a cliche example, but like when I nearly tanked an econ class in college and I came home, my dad was like, you're the one who enrolled. You're the one who thought he could do it. You're the one who told us you thought you could do this. And it just didn't happen. Like there's no one else it falls upon, but you like, and I'm glad you salvaged this on the final and got it to a C minus, but man, like you don't get credit for <laughs> bailing your own ass out of a sling. It's just, and so I think you, you can't just focus on the last 14 games of the year. And I think moving forward, if you do give, you know, Gonzo another year, even if there are changes, you know, and I agree with what, you know, Watkins has said on this, you don't forget this year either. Like the, the slate is not clean next year. If this thing comes out and it looks rickety again over the first seven, eight, nine games, you know, it, to me, it would almost be, you know, it would just be like, hey, we're going to, you know, you're going to get the rest of this year, but this is what it is. You know, we've looked at the last two seasons and you've had the full ability of the transfer portal to go out and make the roster any way you want. And the blueprint early on has not come close to looking like what you said it was going to look like. You know, we give you credit for finding ways and finding solutions and being adaptable, but at the end of the day, we we would like the thing you tell us you're making to resemble the end product. And I think that, that that's really where they are at this point is, you know, this is, as I've said a million times already, this is a salvage run right now. But, you know, next year it's not forgotten. You know, this is, there's like an employee improvement plan here. If it doesn't look the way, you know, Zoe says it's going to look, you know, late in non-con next year, you know, to me, SEC play is almost irrelevant at that point, you know, because it's just not, you can, how many years are you going to go in and say, ah, crap, we're, we're, you know, having to make a Rube Goldberg machine in late December. It's just at some point, you know, the consistency and the vision has to align. And, you know, so maybe he gets a reprieve this year, but I, I think moving ahead, you know, it, what's transpired this year is always in the conversation. It's always a factor. And, you know, if, if there's not the sort of consistency and stability that, you know, we've talked about that we want to see, you know, there won't be any credit given for resourcefulness next year. If anything, it'll be a simp it'll be a sign that the staff hasn't really changed at all. And, you know, after six years, you just can't have that. Yeah, I think very clearly, like, you know, if if the trends continue the way that the season has gone and Missouri continues to play the way that they have, I think we're very realistically looking at a, another season of Conzo Martin, um, you know, but I think with a very clear directive, like you've got to fix it. And if it's if it's not fixed, then like you're, you're not the right guy for the job. Um, and, and you know, like I, I'm 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 very, you know. I've I've told you privately I'm on the fence on it. Um, well, I'm ambivalent really, about it too. I, I, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna cry either way. Like, you know, he he's this is year five. I agree with a lot of the people who say you shouldn't have a program that looks like this in year five. I agree. You know, but then I also realize that it's a steep financial price to pay for a guy who's got his team playing better. And realistically, if if you're able to convert. The the way this team has finished the last you know month or so of play into next year, and you have a guy who you know maybe you're starting to build something, but yeah, I mean I I agree it's it's it it, it it's it's not a reset by any stretch like like your reset was last year and and if anything all you're doing is is you're you're buying yourself a little out of time. Yeah, and you know this is. If you look at the record, the you know the fossil record of of coaches in this situation, you know, aside from guys like Leonard Hamilton or Bob Huggins, 
guys who are probably Hall of Famers, you know, most coaches who get in this spot aren't around more than two or three seasons at most afterwards. Like it's it's going to be an uphill climb here. So I I get why some fans are saying you know I'm done, this is done. There's plenty of evidence to support that claim. Like I'm not going to sit here and say oh like let's all look at Leonard Hamilton or whatever. There's a far greater body of evidence that this is going to be a slog, and it's going to be fairly long odds that that this turns. To me, the question really at the end of the day, and as we've said before, is you know. What can Conzo lay out in that meeting or in his conversations with the AD that are going to really show that there's going to be tangible progress moving forward here? Um, I The baseline here probably is if they improve, history tells us like the it might be 30 or 40 spots, which sounds like a lot you know, from one season to the next, but if Missouri's 120th at the end of this year in Kempom, and the typical improvement would have them finishing at 80th next year. You know, are you going to feel good about that? So I just think it's, I'm ambivalent that I could see why you just say, Hey, do we really want to give this person another year to retool? Conversely, they've, they've played better. And this is a cash strapped athletic department that, you know, for as much as people want to say, well, you're in the sec they're in the red and six million dollars is you know still a tough pill to swallow so whatever decision they make i'll understand but all i'm really focused on is what does the product look like right now in the near term and you know are they going to be able to continue playing the way they have and you know maybe take a couple of more steps forward so we'll see uh all right we gotta get out of here let's Um, do it it's uh as usual long-winded um We'll do better next time, as, as Nate always likes to say. Uh, so two big games. Hopefully uh, Missouri can keep things trending positive. Um, if not, regardless, uh, either way, we'll be back next week to talk about it all again. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed, blah, blah, blah. Follow him, follow me. Uh, any complaints, go to Levi. He's on Twitter. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week.